Father God, we thank you for your word that directs us in all things. Thank you that it is as relevant today as it was centuries ago. Thank you that you speak to us through it. You encourage us, you admonish us when we need it. Thank you that we have access to your word every day. And we pray for those that don't. We pray that there would be people around the world that can get Bibles to them, that they would find ways to find your word. And we pray for those that don't know your word, that they might um, grow and, and have a desire to get into it and read it and digest it and to hear the gospel through it and the love of Jesus. And now today as we hear it, May you speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus Christ, amen. From 1 Corinthians 4. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. 
For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. All right. Uh, So let's dive in. This series, we've been hearing from God's Word about what it means to belong to His church, His church, uh, this gathering of His people through the gospel of Jesus. And uh, you might have seen on the um, little handout you got on uh, on the way in, I've titled this sermon, A Scum of the Earth Church. We've been looking at different aspects of the church all the way through these chapters, and I've called this week A Scum of the Earth Church church. I originally had it down as an apostolic church. Maybe you saw that in the home group booklets if you did the home group study this week. Uh, A church that's founded on the message and the way of life of the apostles. But we could hear that, uh, an apostolic church, a church founded on the apostles, we could hear that and have a bit of a wrong impression about what that actually means. We could think, oh, the apostles... That sounds really impressive and powerful. That's what the Corinthians thought. I imagine if, uh, just imagine yourself, uh, if you're in the Corinthians' shoes, imagine yourself putting putting out an ad for an apostle uh, and imagine that they'd be looking for a CV, something like this. Uh, The the next uh, applicant puts his CV in and he says, well, I'm incredibly smart. Uh, ask me anything and I'll give you a confident and impressive answer with big words that you won't understand. There you go. I, I have a strong personality. I'm a leader. I have so many awards. Uh, so you should come, come and check out my display cabinet. Uh, and you know, you know in uh, job interviews, they always ask you this, what's your greatest weakness? My greatest weakness is that I just take, I care too much and I'm really humble. Uh, that's probably the sort of person the Corinthian church was longing for and looking for in, in an apostle. Whereas here's how Paul presents himself in this passage. Here's my CV. I'm a fool. <laughs> I don't have all the answers. The world sees me as a fool, as a weak fool. All I've got is a crucified carpenter. I'm weak and dishonoured. I'm starving, actually. Have you got any food? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, you can probably see in this interview, you know, the, the panels they're interviewing, uh, you can see I'm dressed in rags and look, I haven't had anywhere to, to live for the last while. I'm homeless. Uh, and uh, you can probably see the bruising on me. I've just, uh, you know, I've just come from being beaten and cursed and slandered because of Jesus. Uh, oh, and I am the scum of the earth, <laughs> the garbage of the world. <laughs> there you go. There's my CV for you, says the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? Uh, In this passage that we're reading today, Paul's being deliberately provocative to us. He wants, to the Corinthians, and to us through there, he wants the Corinthians to wake up to the spiritual danger that they're in if they continue living by the wisdom of the world rather than by the wisdom of the cross. It's like we saw last week. Steve talked about uh, the way in which this whole section, uh, Paul is trying to train our eyes. Remember the magic eye? He's trying to train our eyes to see clearly, to see reality, to see things with God's wisdom. Or another image you might be able to think about it from is uh, he wants them to put on gospel glasses. He wants them to look at all of life through the lens of the cross 
Uh, and that's going to change everything. It's going to change everything about how they live together and how they work in the world. Uh, the first thing Paul highlights here, uh, though, is how the, how the cross needs to shape the way in which this church he's writing to should view the apostles, Paul, the apostles, and also other leaders in the church, guys like Apollos, who we've already met, who wasn't one of the, the, the apostles, but he was a significant leader in the church. And uh, you, you remember, hopefully you can remember the issue that's going on in Corinth. They're elevating their leaders one over the other. They're creating factions. They're dividing uh, they regarded their leaders as powerful, um, the, the kind of wise ones dispensing their own wisdom, and the more eloquent the speaker and the more mysterious and captivating their ideas were, the better for the, for the Corinthians. But Paul reframes all of that. He reframes it all in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Paul and the other leaders in the church were servants. We saw that last week as well. They're just servants. Um, he wants to kind of cut down the way in which the Corinthians idolized their leaders. But he's also doing something else here. Notice whose servants they are. Whose servants they are. One of the great problems with how the Corinthians viewed their leaders was that in a, in a way they were effectively turning their leaders into their servants. They demanded a product from them, uh, this impressive, wise, powerful leaders from the world's perspective. And in dividing, like sort of creating these factions uh, underneath these leaders, they were effectively saying, you've got to perform for us to these guys. But Paul doesn't buy into that. He says you should regard us as servants, but as servants of Christ, of Christ. Uh, we have one Lord to whom we're accountable. It's Jesus we're serving. It's his pleasure we're looking for. And we're not here to give our own impressive and deep ideas into the mysteries of life. We're simply those who have been entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. This is really important. It's really important for us, I think, to reflect on. Paul and the other leaders weren't there to teach their own great lofty ideas. Uh, they weren't, maybe, maybe one way that I hear this talked about, they, they weren't there to share what's on their own hearts. They weren't there to give their own thoughts. They were just those who had been entrusted with God's message, with the gospel. Now, that's what Paul means when he talks about the mysteries God has revealed. This great news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It was a mystery. It was hidden uh, before Jesus came, but now it's been revealed. And the apostles knew that their job was just simply to proclaim and pass that great news on to the world. It wasn't to innovate. It wasn't to make new ideas to impress people with their own thoughts, just messengers of God and his gospel. So Paul goes on, and, and you notice how the, this changes the way Paul relates to the Corinthian church. If he's Christ's servant, and he's not trying to peddle an impressive human teaching, but he's simply entrusted with the gospel, then leadership in Christ's church fundamentally means, fundamentally means, faithfulness to that charge that God has given him. 
living before an audience of one. Verse 2. Now, it is required of those who have been given a trust. That's this gospel that has been given to him. It's required of those who have been given a trust uh, that they must prove faithful. That's what's required of them, faithfulness to what's been given them. This is, I find these verses just remarkable. Uh, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human courts. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. As it, there could be hidden things lurking in my heart. I'm not aware of any major things, but that doesn't, that's not where my confidence is. That doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. It's remarkable, this, isn't it? Uh, remarkable the way in which Paul can say he cares very, very little. It's remarkable, especially for those of us who are people pleasers. Now, there is a way of not caring what anyone thinks of you that's actually driven by pride and a kind of narcissism, right? Um, that's just that's kind of dysfunctional. It's damaging to relationships. And it's not what Paul's getting at here. It's not what Paul's getting at here. He's not saying, you can't judge me, no one can judge me. What he is saying is, I know that God's going to judge me. God will judge me. He'll hold me accountable for what I've done with what he has entrusted to me. And stacked up against that judgment, God's judgment of me, stacked up against that, well, the judgments that you or any human court or even the judgments I pass on myself are just little things. They're just little things. So I can sort of sit lightly to them. I don't need to either be puffed up by your flattery or crushed by your criticism because it's God's assessment that matters. It's the Lord who judges me, says Paul, to these Corinthians who were so judging of their leaders. It's God who judges me, says Paul. I wonder how this idea of this sort of overshadowing judgment of God sits with you. Does it make you a bit nervous, perhaps? Um, What's really interesting here, actually, is that for Paul, what he goes on to say is that this, this judgment of God wasn't something that made him fearful or nervous. It was a wonderful, life-giving, liberating reality. Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. So don't judge your, the, the leaders according to the world's temporary wisdom, according to the, to the wisdom of this world, uh, about how impressive they are in, in Corinth's standards. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. You could have the most impressive leader, the most eloquent leader, whose heart is far from the Lord. And wait until the Lord comes. He will expose that. But listen to this. At that time, when that happens, each will receive... I wonder how you'd finish that sentence. Uh, the Lord will judge and expose the motives of my heart and I will receive condemnation, <laughs> accusation, disapproval. Oh, Paul knows the grace of God much deeper than perhaps I do. Paul knows the gospel means that in Christ he can eagerly await for this moment when Jesus is revealed, this moment that, 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 he will keep, that God will keep him Paul firm to the end so that he will be blameless on that day. That's what he's already said in Corinthians in chapter 1. He knows that God is faithful. 
So he looks forward to this judgment of God and says, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. What a remarkable thing for Paul to say. Each will receive their praise from God. And Paul looks forward to that confidently, not based in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. Now, friends, there is great gospel wisdom here in these verses for anyone involved in leadership in God's church or at any level, whether uh, you're a home group leader, a kids' church leader, a team leader, uh, maybe you're a parent or a grandparent seeking to lead your families. A cross-shaped leader's primary responsibility is not to please people, but to please Christ. Uh, it's not to, and it's also not to come up with clever and new and impressive ideas. It's simply to be faithful to the gospel that he has entrusted to you. Be faithful to the gospel he has entrusted to you. Uh, and we do it all in the absolute security and confidence that the gospel brings. That's the way Paul ends this little paragraph. It is a really liberating reality. This confidence that we will have this uh, praise from the Lord when he comes again. But notice actually how this paragraph is actually not written to leaders in the church exclusively. It is written for the whole church to read. There is stuff in here for those in positions of responsibility to take to heart. Uh, leaders do shape churches, uh, but also churches shape leaders. That's a really significant thing to, to consider. Uh, churches can shape their leaders by what they expect of them, what, how they regard them. And God's word for all of us here is this is how you should regard your leaders, not according to the wisdom of this world, not leaders who make you look impressive in the eyes of the world. You should regard them as servants of Christ, accountable to him, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed, whose main job is not to bring new things, but to faithfully pass on the gospel through the word. Okay, lots to consider there. But what, he does, what Paul does next in verse 6 is he sort of switches direction a little bit. Uh, he, he shifts focus. Uh, he moves from this kind of gospel wisdom about leadership in God's church to, this, to speaking more directly to the Corinthians about the way in which this needs to shape their own life. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these, self, these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the, uh, the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. See what Paul's saying here? He's saying, learn from me and Apollos uh, to be those who stand on God's word and who don't go beyond it, but who, who rest in it. Uh, notice how uh, Paul says, I speak, uh, Paul um, speaks God's words, not just his own ideas. He's saying, that, he's saying that to the Corinthians. Notice how this is evident in my own life. I came to you with, as a faithful messenger passing on this gospel. 
not as one of the Corinthian impressive orators bringing the latest ideas. All the way along, Paul has been pointing to the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe you've noticed that. Uh, He's been pointing to them to to say that what he's talking about here isn't something new. Uh, He's quoted from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from Job. He's quoted from the Psalms. And what he's doing is he's applying the Old Testament in the light of the cross, in the light of this full revealing of the mysteries of God in Jesus. And, and he's, Paul's saying to the Corinthians here, when you boast in your human leaders, you're going beyond what is written. You're going beyond God's words. You're acting out of line with the scriptures. And that's all because the constant heartbeat of the whole Bible The constant heartbeat of the whole Bible is that of grace. That of grace. That we are sinners who can't come to God in our own righteousness. Who stand condemned in ourselves. But that in his incredible mercy, he has come to us in grace. He has paid for our sin. He has washed us clean in Christ and adopted us into his family so that we can look forward to his good pleasure. And so Paul says this in verse 7, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, if it was a gift to you, if it was all grace, why do you boast as though you didn't receive it, as if it was something you earned? If we are wearing our cross glasses if we're looking at life through the lens of the cross we'll see all of life as a gift a gift that we don't deserve what do we have that we didn't receive what do you have that you didn't receive nothing actually ultimately it's all a gift not something that we earned and can boast in So the the whole of God's word read through the the lens of the cross is all about God's grace, God's gift to us. And so Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. Be people who are secure and soaked in the word. I reckon one thing that we can watch out for is that moment when we're talking about things. Maybe it's in home group. We're talking about the Bible. And we do need to watch out for those of us who are more prone to this. Many of us are, I think. Where the, that moment when we put the Bible aside uh, and we kind of go off on our own fascinating tangents. <laughs> uh, I think that we do need to be careful about that. Uh, our posture when we gather is this. Not this. <laughs> it's in the Word, deep in the Word. Not in our own ideas or our own philosophies. Our aim isn't to share all of our great ideas. It's to hear God's ideas in humility to receive his word so that by his spirit we might grow in his wisdom together. Humility under God's word. Friends, uh, humility under God's word is key for our life together if we are to live in gospel-shaped unity. The big theme of these chapters, humility under God's word uh, for gospel-shaped unity. That's that's what's going to keep us from being puffed up one against one another, one, one against another. Okay, but it's not just about knowing things, right? 
Uh, what Paul it goes on to, the, for the rest of this little section, what he goes on to say, what he goes on to talk about is how the, the cross shapes not just what we think, the cross shapes all of our life, every part of our life. And this is where he really ramps things up. Uh, it seems like the Corinthians' main issue wasn't that they didn't know enough. It wasn't that they didn't know the gospel. Remember, a couple of weeks ago we looked at this. Uh, it's that they weren't letting the gospel shape every part of their life. They weren't living in its light. They were still being shaped more by Corinth than by the cross. They were still pursuing the world's ideals of power and wealth and status. So Paul highlights this. It's really biting sarcasm, but maybe you notice that on the way through. In verse 8, he says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. There's a key word in there. There's a key word. It's repeated. Uh, it's the word already. Already. It shows that their perspective, the glasses that they were wearing, it was all out of focus. Uh, Paul, Paul's already urged them back in verse 5 to wait until the Lord comes. But they didn't want to wait. They wanted it all and they wanted it now. They wanted it all and wanted it now. Uh, maybe if you're with us a few months ago, if you remember back to our End of Everything series, we saw the, um, the, the end of everything through the whole Bible's teaching. And, and we talked about then about how one of the dangers of living in these last days between Jesus' first and second coming, one of the dangers is expecting too much of the coming future, the promised future, expecting too much of that here and now. Um, it seems like uh, that was behind a lot of the Corinthians' problems. They wanted the glory... But they wanted the glory without the cross. Uh, Paul knows, though, that the basic shape of the Christian life is actually the same shape as Jesus' own life. It's cross-shaped. It's a cross-shaped life. Uh, it's cross before resurrection. And Paul uses himself and the other apostles as, as like examples of this, models of this. Uh, he uses this image that would have been familiar to the first readers. It's of this great Roman triumphal procession. So what would happen is uh, a great Roman general who would um, make a big victory, who would win a big victory over his enemies, uh, they'd, they'd come home after their victory and they'd had this procession through the streets of Rome. Uh, they'd come in lots of pomp and ceremony and, and they'd sort of drag behind them the spoils of their victory. Uh, this is a, a depiction of Julius Caesar in one of these processions. And the Corinthians longed for leaders like this uh, who, who were at the front of the procession in splendour and glory and honour. But what does Paul say about himself and the other apostles? Verse 9 for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, the, the captured slaves who would be taken to the arena for the games to be, to be slaughtered by the gladiators. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We've been sort of put on display in this really mocking uh, disgraceful way. He goes on, verse 10, We are fools for Christ. Oh, but you, you are so wise in Christ. 
We are weak. <laughs> but you, you are so strong. We are on, you are honoured. We are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. That was in a culture that sort of despised that, that looked down on working with your own hands and elevated, this is the Corinthian culture, elevated sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, thought more than working with your hands. We work hard with our own hands. Uh, Paul embraces that. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, well, the, the, the Corinthian wisdom would say to slander back, right? But the wisdom of the cross says, for Paul, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Remember what Paul's doing. He's trying to wake up this church, these Corinthians, to the spiritual danger they're in if they keep pursuing the world's wisdom rather than the true wisdom of God in the cross of Christ. But he's doing it, as you read on, notice this, he's doing it out of a deep love for them. He, 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 does, he goes on in verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Paul had a special relationship with this church. We looked at that right back in the first week. He, planted, he went and planted the church there. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, others who came after Paul to teach them the gospel, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. He uses this metaphor and uh, to urge them to imitate him in verse 16. Therefore I urge you to imitate me as a, a kid imitates their father. I don't think what Paul means here is to literally imitate all of the details of Paul's life, uh, to go out of our way to become homeless and starving. It's not the kind of attitude where you kind of seek out persecution, right? You kind of goad people into attacking you. That's not... Paul's saying imitate his pattern of life, the way of the wisdom of the cross, the way the cross shapes it, the way he is willing to look foolish for the sake of Jesus. He's willing to look foolish. That's a big one for us, right? The way he puts aside his own interests, his own welfare, for the sake of the gospel. And notice this isn't something for just super holy Christians either, right? Uh, for Just for the apostles, or maybe just for the Corinthian church. Verse 17, it's for everyone. Uh, for this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the he's faithful, faithful to in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See what Paul's saying here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you too are called to this same vision of a cross-shaped life. It's going to look different for Paul. It'll look different from everyone else. You'll have your own particularities in, involved in it. But the underlying shape is going to be the same. It'll be the shape of a cross. 
with your eyes fixed on Christ and the certain hope of his well done on the last day. Resting in the security you have in him, standing firmly on God's word, committed to not going beyond it, to walk the road of the cross, to die to ourselves and to live for God and his kingdom. Now, friends, we need each other to do this, right? We need each other to do this. That's why Paul sends Timothy. It's very interesting, isn't it? Paul sends Timothy to this church, not just to impart more information, but as a model, as a model for them to imitate the way of life, uh, Paul's way of life in Christ. They needed a living, breathing model of the Christian life, and we need each other on this road as a gospel-shaped church family I need to see you living the Christian life. You need to see me. We need to model it to one another. You can't do this on your own. You need the discipline and encouragement of your church family. Now, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus with us today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, all this might sound pretty intense. (laughs) But what I want to do to finish is to just pull back a little bit, pull back from this passage to the whole section we're looking at. What we've seen through this whole series is that the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, the gospel that looks foolish and weak in the eyes of the world, really, really, really is the wisdom and power of God. The gospel really is good and true and beautiful. It really is true life and peace and joy. The gospel that looks foolish and weak, that that might make you look foolish and weak in the eyes of your friends, in the eyes of your colleagues, in the eyes of your family, the gospel that looks foolish and weak in the world's eyes is actually the power and wisdom of God that brings freedom and forgiveness and hope. And friends, if you are here and you're not yet a, a, a trusting in Jesus, if you ask God to give you these gospel glasses, uh, living a life following Paul who was just following Jesus, God will, by his grace, give them to you. And it'll become, this this road, this cross-shaped road will become something increasingly in your life. You'll say, oh, of course, (laughs) of course I'd do that, Uh, given the reality of the cross and all that God's gift has meant for me. Of course I'll live like that. Where, what else could I do? Where else, where else could I go but to him?